Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today, I'm bringing you the second part of my conversation with Alan from the Urban Homesteading UK podcast. Whenever we get to talking, we do tend to just chat. We seem to never run out of things to say, and it's always uh, just well, one of those lovely conversations where you don't even realise how long you've been talking. So I've split it into two and this is the second half of that conversation. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to my conversation with Alan. We, we've um, never gone down the pressing route yet. It's on my <clears throat> list to, to do. But um, yeah. one thing I have found makes a huge difference because yeah. um, I'm imagining you're using a similar recipe to me and you, you basically hang it in a cheesecloth for about 24 hours. Yeah. And then uh, you need to get it out the cheesecloth and, and put it in the fridge. Well, what I found, yeah. if you can find fridge space to do this, is... <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, well, but go on. I, I think I know I, what you're going to say, but go on. Yeah, well, I, I hang it for 24 hours out the fridge, yeah. and then I continue to hang it for another three or four days in the fridge, right, and that okay. does make quite a difference, and you get a much firmer, okay. much firmer cheese. That's definitely worth a try. Then I've got a fridge in the garage, which is a bit, frankly, it's just used for storing my. Homemade wine and cider and things like that. So if I give that a good clean out, that might work. Yeah. I suppose theoretically the other option, if I can protect it from pests, is to just hang it outside or hang it in the greenhouse or in the this time of year. Yeah. This time of year might work, mightn't it? Yeah. That might be a solution. Just just trying to yeah, because I I would like to get a slightly firmer cheese, and I am definitely going to look at trying to make some hard cheeses next year. Yeah. So um, the, the cheeses. Yeah. The cheeses I make generally they're they're spreadable, but they're also just about sliceable. If that makes okay. sense, yeah, they're, they're yeah. firm enough. You could get a slight, but it's definitely soft cheese. You know, you wouldn't call it a yeah. hard cheese, mm. but they're a bit firmer than the the sort of cream cheese you might buy. Yeah, so I, I've I've made some and I've eaten it like that, which with sort of almost thick cream cheese, which is lovely. And I'm going to use that to make a cheesecake at Christmas because um, yeah. many of my family are lactose intolerant, so I'm thinking I'm going to make some of that make some ricotta, knock up a cheesecake, and everyone's going to think they've died and gone to heaven. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there'll be people in my family who haven't eaten cheesecake in years and years because, they, you know, it makes a meal. So that would yeah. be a really nice thing to do. Um, so I'm thinking I'm going to do that, but I also would like to try and make something that's a bit more like a goat's cheese you buy in the supermarket. Yes. So it's kind of firm in the middle, um, perhaps not quite so firm on the outside, but with the white mould on the outside of it, and then, you know, potentially do it like a baked camembert or something like that is what I'd, I'd quite like to do nice um yeah which is just trying because obviously for, for myself being lactose intolerant as a kid growing up i didn't eat these things you just didn't you couldn't get them you know it just yeah. wasn't something that you did and so actually being able to experiment with making it myself and yeah i can buy it in the shops now but you know my theory is i can do it better than the shops do so i might be wrong sometimes but it's worth a try and you, yeah, you learn lots sure. from trying don't you so yeah and, and another top tip for you alan it makes yep. amazing and super 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 easy cheese sauce just oh, okay a little bit of milk in a, in yeah. a pan and I just yeah. dump a pot straight in um, okay. and then, then a little bit of flour and it, yeah. it's really, really good. And it doesn't tend to have, once it's cooked through that mm. sort of tang 
that yep. that goatee tang that that mm. kind of really goes away and gets subdued so much okay. so that my, my my wife hates goat's cheese but she yep. she you know mop up this uh, cheese sauce okay. quite happily so yeah that's really easy as well because mm. that's the other thing is that we 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 don't tend to eat things like lasagnas in in this house mm -hmm. we do sometimes we find ways around it with goat's milk or oat milk or whatever um, but we don't tend to but when we do it tends not to have a cheese it's just a white sauce rather than a cheesy sauce yeah and I think that might be something worth trying. Absolutely, that sounds good. Definitely, sounds definitely. Really good. I found yeah. myself with uh, I found myself with a load of ham in the fridge that needed using up, like loads. <laughs> we've got so much ham, Alan. And, and oh, it's ridiculous! It's ridiculous. And and um, you know, massive joints of ham as well. Some yeah. of them are some of them are virtually a whole leg. Yeah, yeah. That, that I've hammed. And uh, my labeling, when we when we butchered all these pigs not so long ago, we butchered like three pigs really far, yeah. you know, in quick succession. Yeah. And my labeling on some of the stuff wasn't as good as it could have been, you know, because I like always, you think, well, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember yeah, that. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, yeah. Yeah, but six <laughs> six freezer reconfigurations later and you, you mm. haven't got a clue what's what. So yeah. I cooked um, some pulled pork, some a slow roasted pulled pork that was mm. a ham. And I didn't know it was oh. a ham. I, I was expecting <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I had all this ham in the fridge. How did that come out? I imagine that was pretty good, though. It was good. Yeah, it yeah, was good. Yeah. It was good. Mm. I cook it on a on a like a high temperature first for about 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then turn it right down for six yeah. or seven hours. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, no, it was great. And uh, but it meant I had this massive surplus of hams. And so I had to sort of quickly whip up a, a, a ham and leek pie just so i yeah. could do something with it and then freeze it or whatever or get it eaten yeah. so and and literally all i did you know a few leeks in the in the frying pan slice up the ham a little mm. bit of garlic mm. uh put some milk in dumped a pot of this cheese in bit of corn flour done you know that was yeah. it. it it took me yeah realistically probably including all the slicing and everything probably 20 minutes and, and wow, i've made okay. this filling for it's so simple with this cheese yeah. it's it's uh yeah and I, and I hadn't really used it to make cheese sauce before september and it was then that i kind of i suppose the september challenge you had, yeah you, yeah had to i guess yeah you? that's right yeah and it, it really yeah. switched me onto it that ravioli i made with the crayfish and stuff yeah. you know that was yeah. the first time i'd done it and it was a real revelation and i think now um so long as i've got that cheese i think that's the cheese i will use in cheese sauces because it just mm. gives you as good a result but so much less effort and not that, not that it's a lot of effort to grate a load of cheese and put it in the pot but it's just you know less and uh yeah well and you do it from frozen as well so. the thing is if you're if you're doing it with your obviously all the time you've got goats you're doing it for practically nothing aren't you that, that's yeah that's the, right that's, that's the trick it's, and then you rather than going out and buying cheddar or whatever cheese you might buy yeah um your home homemade goat's milk is almost free yeah um, it's not quite free is it but in terms of the product that you get you get from the goats um yeah so that makes sense, doesn't it, to do that going forward if you've got it? Yeah. Um, sure. I've found that that buying the goat's milk it costs it cost me nine pounds to buy a gallon of goat's milk, just over a gallon of goat's milk. Wow. And that will make me five reasonable sized cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I've been doing, it, I've got these little baskets that I put it into, and that seems. And I've got some just some uh, preserving weights that I put on them typically when I'm doing it at home. Um, and that makes five of those little cheeses. So they're coming out what two just over two pound each i suppose 225 each something like that um which when you think about the size compared to what you buy in the shop for that it's actually quite a good value still yeah for sure it's it's not huge value but it's better it's cheaper than buying it in the shops um, yeah for sure and and i can also then you know have some control over what it's like so the versatility of it that i found so far has been really really good and obviously you're talking about other other things that can be done with it it's definitely something that i would recommend that people try 
even if they've got to go and buy the milk to do it. I think it's worth a learning the skill kind of yeah. scenario. Yeah, and knowing how like to do it. Goat's cheese for, for people who don't have goats or whatever, or you know, are thinking, well, I don't have the infrastructure here. I don't have this, that, and mm. the other that would kind of force me into it. You really don't need lots of peripheral paraphernalia. It's you no. know, it's like literally for a few pounds you can buy the the cheesecloths and things that you need, yeah. and then once a year you're going to have to buy a, a little bit of rennet, which again is just yeah. a few pounds. It's yeah. the, the the outlay is is really really small, and you can be your own cheesemaker. It's not one of these things like if you want to start making ice cream and you need to buy an ice cream machine, and you might be looking mm. at a hundred pounds plus. Yeah. For, for a decent one it's not like that at all it's it's so cheap to have a go and get started and i i don't really know anyone who's, who's had a go and hasn't really enjoyed the results well I've, I've had lots of positive feedback to the point that people at work are offering to buy it off me so yeah you know that that tells you doesn't it yeah you know it's one of those things where you make it yourself and you think, oh it's really good and then <laughs> you sort of share it with other people and sometimes a bit trepidatious about it um, this one I wasn't at all. It was kind of like, no, this is this is going to go down really well, and it, and it really did. And so, yeah, I think it's very much worth the effort. Uh, what I found was making the starter culture takes a lot of the faff out of making the cheese each time. Yes. So, obviously, I've got that frozen in 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 well, actually, little bowls in the freezer. So I pull it out every every time I make another cheese. I pull a, another bowl out and just chuck it straight into the the milk as it cools, and that seems to do that job perfectly well enough. Yeah. Uh, rather than having to do that each time, which is, you know, and that was that was really easy as well. That was very straightforward. And and the the company that you recommended to me when I started in it, um, I've sent all the instructions. So it's so straightforward. Yeah, it really. Just follow these, follow this, follow follow the instructions. Job done, and it comes out great. So I've been really pleased with that. And yeah. I will be asking for a. I'm going to be asking my wife for a, a cheese press for Christmas. Oh, awesome. just a simple one. Just a simple one. Yeah. Um, but it's just something that I can then press the cheese and, and have a go. At trying to make some harder cheeses in the new year because yeah it's nine pounds for for the milk but actually it's quite difficult to find good quality hard goat's cheeses i found yeah, um, yeah. you can find the soft goat's cheese um yeah. and there's there's some places that will say you're a hard goat's cheese but it's i'm not sure what it is and I, i'd like to have a go at myself for sure yeah. and why why not well yeah absolutely one i'm thoroughly enjoying it as well that's the other thing is it's just really good fun yeah it is so, I- <laughs> I remember. I remember the first cheese I made. Just how how proud I was, and yeah. how like yeah. I was like singing yeah. from the rooftop. Yeah. So yeah. I remember, I, I, the only thing I can equate it to is when I caught my very first fish when I was yep. probably twelve or thirteen, and and yeah. I can still vividly remember that and how excited I was because it was like this mystical thing that was beyond reach and you know yeah. you, you other people knew how to do that but of course you didn't and then you've yeah. you've, you've made cheese you started with milk and you've made cheese and, and it was yeah. like amazing this revelation yeah. and yeah it, it's the one of the most rewarding things i've ever done i think mm. that definitely and I, uh, what i find is you then get people go like how did you do that it's like yeah. some kind of magic that's gone involved there's no magic involved in it at all it's yeah just another bit of cooking can you follow yeah. an instruction from a, from a yeah, recipe I, book yeah well you I, can make cheese you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were getting an extension alan you've had a cheese room made <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've got to find a solution to that because obviously if i'm going to do hard cheeses i'm gonna have to age them yeah so i've got to find a solution to that and and obviously with cats and dogs in the house um you know it, you try and keep it clean don't you but it's never yeah. as clean as it should be uh, for making cheese anyway. Yeah, that's what's, to... 
that's what's really, really put, not put me off, but that's what's been a barrier to me for, for not only that, but also making things like prosciutto, which I, I've wanted to do. Yeah. But it's having somewhere I can hang that kind of thing. It's just, it's mm. not quite as simple as it, it could be if you if you had a dedicated, uh, you know, climate controlled space. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's not as simple as well. It is simple. The process is simple, but uh, having the perfect space for it is, you yeah. know, another another problem that needs attention. Well, I'm gonna have to consider a, some kind of sealed unit. I think because I've got plenty of spaces to put a sealed unit in. Mm -hmm. um so i think you can sort of get various little bits of tech that will do it so i've just got to try and figure out how i do that and with, with what i've got here rather than spending lots of money on it yeah um but just just because i'm only going to try it and then if it works then i might invest in doing it a bit more you know yeah. on a bigger scale um but certainly in the first instance i've just got to try and figure out a way to do that here using yes. what we've already got so whether i can do something with the fridge it's in the garage that i mentioned earlier that will do the job get the temperature sort of right in there if that would do it I don't, i'm not sure so i've just got to do a bit of research and, and watch a few videos and read a few bits and try and figure it out and we'll see where yep. we go but i'm definitely keen to get some you know harder cheeses just because actually i'm not sure i know anyone i'm sure there are people listening that do this all the time and think oh well you thought yeah piece of cake you know but <laughs> yeah there'll be some people that come forward with some suggestions as to how it could be done at home It'd be really useful um but I, I i don't know anyone personally that does it um so yeah it'd be, be nice to if anyone's got any good ideas to hear them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. Um, so Alan, I want to mm. rewind about 20 minutes and just go back to something oh, you wow, said okay. uh, a yep. little while ago, you, you, you complete change of tack. So yep. there's no, there's no uh, nice rounded out segue here. I'm just going to change, <laughs> just change, straight change course. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned that your allotments are all sort of where you want them at winter. And as mm -hmm. someone who, certainly is more a more experienced vegetable gardener than me and than mm. most uh, what does that look like what does what does your allotment when it's in a state that you're you know quite happy that's where we that's what we were aiming for for kind of yep. winter shutdown for want of a better term what, what does that look like well I, I should start by saying this is the best i've done it and and over the years i've, I've kind of with the allotment i've kind of ebbed and flowed a bit and mm -hmm um at the moment i'm really on the case with the allotment having lost the land at the back of the garden last year really focused my attention on the allotment and getting that right yeah and we're, we're nowhere near self-sufficient in vegetables i've got half a plot it's i think it's 10 meters by seven something like that so it's not mm -hmm. a huge space um what it does is supplement the vegetables so there are certain times of the year where we're not needing to buy very many vegetables but we still would buy certain things because i just can't keep up with them like i can't grow enough broccoli i can't grow enough cucumber there's no point me even trying i don't tend to bother growing either of them because of it um but there are other things like purple sprouting broccoli that in a few a couple of months time probably we'll have more than we know what to do with um so that's the first thing to say um in terms of now um i've got 25 small raised beds there a meter and a half by meter and a half more or less uh, a couple of them are slightly smaller um, and of those 25, I think about 13 have got something growing in them. Yeah. And the other 12, I've just given a thick mulch of um, of compost that I've produced, either from the chicken spoil or from garden waste or whatever it is that I've got. Uh, and that's been laid up, up to about four inches deep on top of each of those 12 beds that have got nothing growing in them. Yeah. So I gave them a good hoe off, first of all, um, to make sure there was nothing growing in there that I didn't want and cleared all the, all the things that were in there growing previously and took them all away. Um, and then I've just mulched the top. Um, and left them and they're put to bed now until until i need them in probably february time i might start thinking, thinking about growing a few things in there again yeah um and then the other 13 have got various um 
cages over them as necessary. So um, with, with the allotment space, there's a lot of pigeon pressure on that space. Um, and so I have to net everything that's, that the pigeons might want to eat or yeah. I don't see it. They eat it all first. Um, so some of them have got nets over them, some of them haven't. But growing in there, I've got now uh, all my overwintering brassicas, pretty much. I've got a, a bed of leeks, um, and they are, they're not growing particularly well this year, but they'll be ready to eat now, so I can start easy eating those. They're not particularly big, but they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do a job. Um, I've got a couple of beds of cabbage, so savoy cabbage growing in there. Um, again, some of those are looking really good, some nice big heads. A couple of them are a little further behind, but that's okay because they'll be ready at different times. Yep. Um, I've got some purple sprouting broccoli. I've got some uh, Romanesco cauliflower, which is just finishing up now. That's, that came quite late this year, but it's been delicious. Um, I've got two beds of Brussels sprouts. Um, what else have we got in there? I've put my garlic in um, about a month ago now. That's gone in ready for next sort of summertime. I've got a bed of that going in there. Mm-hmm. I've got some parsnips still standing from sowings I made earlier this year. And then I've got four beds of, of perennial fruit. Um, so I've got yeah two of strawberry and two of blackcurrant. So just sort of waiting until they're time to fruit again next year. Uh, and so what that means in effect is that I've got obviously half of it's put to bed. The rest of it's been really nicely weeded. And, you know, I, I tend to just hoe these days. I don't go digging the weeds out or anything like that. I just hoe it all off um, and then obviously let things grow around it. Um, some of the taller standing bits will be staked. So like the broccoli and the, the Brussels sprouts have got some stakes to help them stand up. Otherwise they tend to fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're at really. That's, it's, it's sort of stuff growing, stuff for harvesting. I think I put a bed of, actually I did, I put a bed of um, spinach and chard in quite late, um, but that'll be ready in the spring. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of, uh, well, late winter, I suppose. So when, um, when we move and I <laughs> install my vegetable plot in our yep. back garden, I think yep. historically I've famously done very little to protect my crops from pigeons and yep. stuff and I've, I've paid the price for that and yeah and i've been quite comfortable with that whole you know balance of, of yep. effort effort versus risk etc um but i'm thinking what i might do is something similar to what you've done and i might actually my plan is i, I want to go no dig still but i think i'm gonna yep. put a sort of a four inch border around the beds yeah then i can put my cardboard down and, and put my compost on top and i think that will stop or at least reduce the sort of ingress of grass and stuff onto the bed. Mm-hmm. But I am thinking of building sort of semi-permanent uh, netting on them because we're yep. going to be in a, a more urban environment as well. And I just think for several reasons, I, I want to do that. Plus the lack of space, I'm going to have to be a bit more protective of my crops. So I'm wondering what what, what process have you you know what does your actual netting look like i my in my head i was thinking of building them almost like cold frames so you know just another i don't know 10 inches or 12 inches up the sides and then mm. with like a, a frame across the top with a hinge with netting yep. on is is that does that sound similar to what you're doing or are you doing something that, no I, I, mine's much more basic than that i i because I've got such a small space, I have to protect against the pigeons because otherwise I would lose everything over and over again. I've been there before and done it and I can't afford the effort that I put in to not produce something with the little space that I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if the pigeons eat it twice and I really sow twice, then I've lost all that time. Yeah. Um, so I've had to do it. So over the years, I've done various configurations and what tends to happen, the, the biggest barrier you're going to come across is that the netting gets damaged by weeds growing through it if you're not careful. 
Yeah. Um, so around around the side. So what I've done now is I've gone for my bed. Some of them are quite deep. Some of the beds that I've done. The the idea you've got with the four inch boards um, potentially could work quite well if you strim around the edges fairly frequently. Yeah. Um, because all I've done is I've got Mike to cut me some chestnut poles from his coppice. Um, I've then cut them down to about probably six, seven foot in height above my head. So they're down into the ground to secure them, screwed into the edges of the, um, the, the board that's gone around, you know, the, the gravel board presumably you'll use around the outside. Yeah. That's uh, what I've got. And so they go into the corners and hold, hold the square, the corner square and then up about seven feet above, above my head. And then I've netted to the top of that and I've just put some cross beams all around the outside and because they're only five foot square typically um just i've just used two by one tile button yeah around the top just to screw onto that and then i then i actually have stapled um soft butterfly netting up yes. and over the top and all i use is just a simple flap system so three sides are secured so i can only get in from one side in most of the beds and they're secured directly down to the gravel board at the bottom so that nothing can get underneath um, and then i just use a um just a long bit of pole so another bit of the chestnut pole if i've got it or a bit of the gravel ball a bit of the um, tile baton whatever i've got handy and i just screw or or tack the the netting to that and have like a flap that i lift up yeah so if you can imagine when i go to my, my raised beds what i would do is i've got some screws down the side or hooks down the side that just hook the butterfly netting into it yeah unhook those pick up the bit of timber at the bottom lift it up like a flap and then stand it on top and just lean it on top of the yeah. cross beams at the top and then i can just go in and out as i need to um and i found that that was the cheapest and quickest way to do it you probably could put you know really nice big screen doors in and hinges and all that sort of stuff you've got a lot more skill in that regard than i have um but i just just i wanted to do it cheap i wanted to do it simple what it will mean is that every few years i'll have to replace some of the the netting yeah where potentially it gets damaged from that that use and being done that way so if you were looking at long term, you might decide to the, 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 the sort of the screen door idea was um, more sturdy and, and more long lasting. Um, but I've done similar methods now for a few years and it seems to work pretty well. And the soft butterfly netting, because it's stretchy, is much, much less likely to be damaged by stuff getting caught in it. Um, and as long as you keep the weed around the, the bottom edge of the boards clear, so that we have cooch grass, it's a nightmare, but the allotment it just comes up everywhere. Um, and that will grow up through the netting potentially. And then when you go to lift the netting, it can rip the netting. Yeah, yeah. So as long as you keep that down around the outside, that that sort of protects the longevity of the netting. Um, and it, yeah, it's just as simple as that. Just lift it up and over and away you go. Yeah. No, it sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Hi guys, I'm just very quickly interrupting the show to say please consider supporting it. If you'd like to consider supporting this one-man operation, there's lots of ways you can do it. One of the easiest of which is just to talk about it, to share it online on your social media pages or with friends. By growing this audience is one of the best ways that we can actually ensure that the show is sustainable. If you'd like to support it more directly, then please consider becoming a patron. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub by becoming a patron you help me to achieve things that i'd love to be able to do in the future such as buying better equipment to increase the quality allowing me to pay myself some time to spend on the podcast again increasing the quality of it and also paying for things like transcription and show notes if you would like to do that please do consider going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub thank you Everything you do to support this show is really appreciated. 
So um, I think apart from the, uh, you know, the allotment and everything else that we're moving, the next thing we've got to worry about is where we're going to be housing all of our hens and our cocks because we've got mm. so many at the moment. I think we're going to be certainly downsizing them. How many, mm. how many do you keep at the moment? And what sort of, what, what sort of output are you getting from your birds? How much is enough for your family? Enough for my family is probably three birds. Yeah. Um, certainly if they're all in lay anyway. Um, I tend to keep more than that just to make sure as an insurance policy. And because of where I live, which is literally on the, you know, relatively busy road through our estate. It's not a busy road, but you know, busy enough that there's a few cars going past every day and people walking down to the local shop. Um, I've just put a table out the front and sell any surplus out there, which helps to pay for the feed for all of them. Yeah. Um, so I've got five birds currently in a seven by five shed with a fully enclosed um, run outside of probably about eight or nine feet by five. So it's a bit bigger than the shed, maybe 10 foot by five, something like that. Um, so it's a bit bigger than the shed outside and that's enclosed and it's got um, a UPVC roof on part of it. I managed to get some secondhand like conservatory plastic, yep. roofing plastic. And so we put that on the top. It's kind of like a gable roof on it. Sorry, pitch roof on it. Um, and that seems to do the job pretty well for us. The problem that I have is that I have to cycle through younger birds every year um, because what tends to happen and has happened this year, because I didn't, is that we get to this stage of the year and they're not laying, you know, maybe one bird lays a couple of times a week and that's about it. Yeah. So we're probably getting about, if we're lucky, half a dozen eggs a week at this point. Yeah. Which is not quite enough for us. Um. So what I tend to do typically is try and introduce new stock, but I didn't want to, given I've already got five birds in that space, add any more in. I've had more in there before. Um, it's not ideal. Yeah. Uh, and given that I now wouldn't tend to let them out, I think our tomcat might even attack them potentially. Um, and I've had problems with them being attacked in the garden before, so I tend not so much to let them out unless we're definitely going to be out there with them. Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't want to have any more than that. So I've not introduced new stock this year, and that's, that's it's cost us because we've not got so many eggs. Well, that's the dilemma, isn't it? If, if you yeah. if you have enough eggs to if you have enough birds rather to provide all the eggs for your family's needs in December and January, yeah, then you know you've got a huge surplus in the spring and yeah. the summer, and yeah. it's working out. You know, if you if you're able to sell them at the side of the road, fantastic. Um, otherwise you, you know it, you do have to figure out a way of getting that balance right and we are again it all depends on where we end up and what space we have extra to the actual house if we get a field in time then that's great we'll just mm. um, hold loads of hens up there and all the problems go away not worried but if we're only able to have them at, at home it's a question of do you have enough birds that is going to provide you with fresh eggs all winter and if you yep. do then you need something to do with the surplus in the summer which is fine i'm not worried about that i can always deal with gluts and i'm gonna say well, i'm not yeah having a surplus has never been a problem for me i have to say you're some you know your friends and neighbors and everyone will take them off you for nothing very weird yeah and but, if you can sell them as well then that you know better yeah but the other challenge if you were so inclined and which i may be if, if the mm. goal and our goal if we only have that space is going to be managing the space as productively as possible and if we were to set ourselves the target of we want x number of eggs a week 52 weeks of the year yep. how many birds do we need to produce that number of eggs albeit not spread out how do we then spread out 
those eggs through storage for our own use and uh, yeah. that might be next spring's challenge will be one of preserving eggs in in new ways that we haven't done before like liming yeah. and things like that i think that's one way i've frozen some so theoretically i could be using the frozen eggs that i've got now yes yeah um i haven't done yet but i will at some point through the winter um there's probably i don't know maybe 50 eggs preserved in the freezer yes and all i did there was take half a dozen at a time whip them up and then chuck them in a an old takeaway tub or a plastic bag depending on what i had available and they've gone in the freezer yes and they'll be fine for scrambled egg they'll be fine for cake making you know yeah. making quiche and that kind of thing they won't make good poached eggs but you know sacrifices that you make through the winter and all that yeah um and that's absolutely fine that's one way of doing it i if i could and if i was so inclined i theoretically could have culled my old stock um and replaced them with younger birds back in the summer or the spring yeah and those birds will probably lay through their first winter in my experience the, yes. the lane hybrids will lay through their first winter and that's how I've done it in the past to keep fresh eggs all year round. Yeah. But that was at a point when I was going from one setup to a different setup in which I wanted to keep more birds. And so I was able to increase stock over, over time and I lost a couple and that meant I could sort of bring two in at a time and that, and that solved it in, in recent years. But this year I've got my oldest 10 only literally stopped laying. She's probably nearly five years old mm -hmm. and she literally only stopped laying about two months ago. Um, so I've done really well out of her, and, <laughs> and I'm not inclined to go and bump her off just because I want to get new new chickens in there. It's kind of not yeah. what we've done. In, in the, the chickens are kind of family pets yeah. in the garden, uh, and so it's just not what we do. So we'll wait for her to go of natural causes, and then we'll look to probably go put another two in and go up to six for a while. That's probably yeah. what we'll do, and that, that will solve the problem for next year. But but you're thinking about preserving because you talked about liming before, haven't you? And, yeah, it's not something I've done. I had uh, mm. Vicky Parnaby on the show, mm. and, and she's done it, and mm. to, to great success. Yeah. And it, it it sounds almost too simple. You know, you just oh, get okay. some, you just get some, uh, some some certain specific type of lime and mix it with yeah. water, and you basically yeah. just put your eggs in this solution and then yeah. store them, and mm. and. Uh, you know, they will store pretty much indefinitely because the lime sort of seals the eggs and makes yeah. this sort of, you know, completely sealed homogeneous space where the eggs are yeah. just indefinitely preserved. It sounds what, amazing, what, but what are the eggs like when they when you use them after that process? You know, I presume you well, tried them, but I, I haven't tried them. But I'm led to believe that they're pretty good. You can use hmm. them for pretty much any, anything you'd use fresh eggs for. They're not exactly the same. They go a tiny bit runnier, but you could certainly yeah. use them for fried eggs and things like yeah. that. Whereas yeah. obviously the frozen scrambled eggs, you, you you're not going to do that. But no. um. Yeah, just some, just a, a whole new avenue of of things that I'm going to need to explore. I think when we yeah. when we move. Yeah, if you want to be properly self sufficient, you need to be able to master those kinds of things, don't you? Really, that, that's for, the easiest way of doing that on a on a small space, anyway. For sure. Have you um, mm. have you salt cured yolks yet, Alan? I haven't. No, no. Oh I, my I, goodness! You yeah. need to do it just as an okay. ingredient. <laughs> okay. You, you would absolutely. You'd get so much out of it. It's the simplest okay. thing in the world. Um. You, you familiar with the process? I think I've seen you do it online, haven't I? Did you yeah, do a video on so. that? Yeah. yeah, you just just separate out the yolks and you just mm. coat them in salt. Yeah. Leave them leave them in salt for a few days or twenty four hours. Then put yeah. them in a dehydrator to properly yeah. dry them out, and then put them in the fridge, and they'll keep okay. in there for months. But right. you forget about doing it to preserve them. That's yeah. you know one reason why you would do it. That's not why I do it. I do it because they make this incredible ingredient that you can't right. get anywhere else. Okay. So 
what you might do then is once you've done that with your with your bacon, cook yourself some bacon, uh, mm-hmm. do a piece of sourdough toast, put your bacon, <laughs> and then and then grate some of this on top. Okay. And it's amazing. It's it's just. <laughs> It's an incredible product. You grate it on top of um, like any sort of cheese sauce, pasta that you're going to have. And it's, it, it's this beautiful, beautiful, eggy flavor that I just mm. can't really describe. But it, okay. it's, it's like an ingredient that we should all be using. But most people don't even think about it. You know, don't, yeah. don't I never see it in a, in a recipe calling for it. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, once you do it, I promise yeah. you, Al, you will never look back. Okay, I'm going to try that. Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Takes up no space in the fridge, and it and it opens up this whole new world of flavors. And and if you want, yeah. you know, like ham and eggs yeah. on toast, even better than bacon. Put some ham on your toast, and then just grate this on top. It's just yeah. phenomenal, and it's as good as oh, it's as good as any other you know ham and egg version of food you're going to have. But it's oh, just it different, good. completely different. And you, yeah, you have to you have to do it. I'm now going to have to go and buy some eggs, Carl. <laughs> you establish I don't have any. <laughs> maybe, maybe leave it till the spring then. But uh, no, right, definitely, I'll, definitely do it. It's worth it. You won't. I'm going up the farm you. shop later. I might just pick up half, half a dozen so I can. Yeah, do, do it, do it. I promise. <laughs> I promise you, you won't regret it. I promise. Well, I've been thoroughly enjoying my dehydrator recently. I have to say that's been that's been out a bit. I I, I was looking at um, we had a, obviously in the, in the shops now you can buy clementines and satsumas and those kinds of sort of small citrus fruits. Yeah, because they're actually in season, aren't they? So uh, yep. it's a great time of year to be buying, and they're delicious and everything else. But you buy them in these big boxes for two or three quid now in the supermarkets, and and of course, you know who eats thirty satsumas in a week? You know, yeah, I yeah. probably could, but you'd have to try. You'd have to you'd go out of your way to do it. So I had a few last week that were starting to, you know, they start to look a little bit sad. So I was like, well, I'll get the dehydrator out and I'll just dehydrate them, and then I'll hang them up as Christmas decorations, you know, and yep. make the house smell nice or whatever else. And so I did this with the, the the ones that I had and and filled up one tray of the dehydrator. I'm like, well, I'm not putting the dehydrator on with one tray. That's just dark. Yeah. So I then got a load of apples and did those as well. And oh my goodness me, like they yeah. lasted about 48 hours. Sounds right. Dehydrated apples. It's just unbelievable. Dried apple, dried apple is a real treat. My favourite is yeah. dried pear. I have to say. Okay. Imagine that takes a little longer, does it? Because they're a bit bit wetter, aren't they? Not not much. It depends how thin you slice them. They're, okay. They're, you know, not much longer. They they end up more uh, sort of rubbery than the apples yeah. that, you know, they, I don't dry them too, too crispy. Mm. But they, um, yeah, the dried pear, I could I could eat just constantly. <laughs> I'd never get bored of it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, amazing. It's, it's, it's been great fun, though. And just playing with those, little, again, playing with those skills, playing with that understanding, what happens if I do these things. Yeah. I've actually, I actually quite enjoyed eating the dried. I, I ate the whole a whole slice of the dried clementine, and and or, yeah, the skin was a bit crispy. Yeah, uh, and the rest, but the rest of it was amazing, absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, Such yeah, a yeah. good flavour, and again, an ingredient that you don't often find anywhere, no. but just and the, just they'll that. go on your they'll go on your Christmas wreaths as well. I would think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which we're certainly going to be looking at making some, and that, that was kind of part of the thinking was that we can turn them into like we'll just hang them with a stick of cinnamon on the tree or whatever, and just make the the room smell nice. Yeah. Um, but certainly on the Christmas wreath as well, and, and sort of add a bit of colour because sometimes I find by the time we get to the holly at this time of year, the birds have already eaten all the berries. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah, it can be difficult to get some colour on there. So definitely useful for that. Um, yeah. But but certainly if people haven't got dehydrators again, that's such a good little thing to get and it, it wasn't expensive the one i've got is about 30 pounds i think 
Yeah, um, I think of uh, all of our sort of what what I would consider to be our sort of home steady Christmas, uh, not Christmas, sorry, kitchen gadgets. When I when I mm. think of all of them, you know, the dehydrator, yeah. the ice cream maker, the yogurt yeah. maker, the pasta maker, the the last one to go. If I could only keep one, it would be the dehydrator. Right. I just I get yeah. so much use from mm. it, and we, it it just it it increases your harvests. It increases your productivity. It means you yep. can deal with gluts. We use it from the spring right through till the winter. It's, you know, it will be the last yep. thing of, of all those things that we pack because we'll be using it right through. We use yep. it if you're if you're a forager and you're picking wild mushrooms, it means that you can harvest it because, you know, they that is a real case of you're only ever dealing with feast or famine. You know, you have to yep. be able to deal with gluts because each one of those species might bloom for a few days every year and and mm. you know so but but beyond that you know herbs fruit everything mm. all of these things that glut if you've got a dehydrator you've got access to them all year round and and it, it's a relatively or it can be a relatively affordable gadget i always mm. say about about 30 pounds or less you can mm. get a perfectly decent dehydrator that's certainly what i paid for ours and yeah. it, it, in terms of bang for buck it's it's probably the best gadget we've ever bought. It's just, yeah, yeah, couldn't be without it. Well, the tomatoes have been pretty special out of that this year. I've, I've managed to dehydrate a, a batch of tomatoes and I've jarred those up and they're, they're, they're really very good. Nice. So that's that's very useful use of those because I'd have used the oven previously and, and that requires, you know, moving around the oven and everything else and leaving it on for ages and uh, yeah. it's not ideal. So the dehydrator solves that problem because I don't have to be around. I can put it on and know that it's going to be safe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas with the oven door open, hmm, not too keen on that if we're not in the house, or whatever. So, yeah, that, that's been useful. Um, I think I might actually... think about next year. Sorry, Alan. I... No, go on, Carol. Well, I might think about next year if I get time. I want to come up with sort of like a design that I can make where I can basically create a dehydrator that sits on top of our stove our wood burning yep. stove yeah. so you know i don't even need to t use any electricity we've got the heat there anyway yeah just have yep. something that sits above it but i think temperature regulation might be an issue but i'm thinking overnight when it's on sort of when it's shut right down yeah uh, so basically you know basically building building a little mini dehydrator with with metal legs or something that's going to mm. protect it from the heat and just sitting it on the stove overnight and just being able to dehydrate every night for free i love that idea I suppose the only thing is that would you have the wood stove on at the time of year when you need to dehydrate? Not all year, not all year, but no. we, de we dehydrate all year, almost yeah, all year. Okay. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're still using it now. Probably it's probably wrapping up now, but where I'm a forager, a mushroom forager, you know, in mm. sort of October, November, we're definitely dehydrating mushrooms and then yeah. still herbs and things that we're taking out the garden. If we wanted, we could yeah. be uh, dehydrating those things, but yeah. no, you, you know, most of your dehydrating is, as you say, done when you're not using the stove, for sure. Yeah. Our, our wood stove is going in a week tomorrow, so I'm kind of excited about that. <laughs> I, I'm excited for you. I can't wait. <laughs> it's I been a bit of a journey to get it. to that point. Yeah, yeah. really looking forward to it. So I've, I've, I've had to buy in some logs for this year. Um, yep. and that, but that's done now. I've got, I've got some logs in to get us started. And then I'm planning to go with Mike to the coppice and, and cut logs in the new year for next winter is the, is the thinking. Yeah. Um, so I don't have to I obviously heat the house effectively for free, just a, you know, a few hours of my time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's the plan. Speaking of Mike, I yep. can't possibly let you go <laughs> without yep. uh, sharing 
on Mike's behalf, and I know he won't mind because he's, yep. uh, you know, you've put it out on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'll just say to to my listeners, I Mike's had <laughs> some incredible news. I'm inc- I'm so happy for him. It's just yeah, um, an amazing life change potentially coming up and i've spoke to mike and said would you like to come on and speak about it and he said yes but uh maybe in a few months when sort of he's more you know immersed in it but until yeah. then let us know mike uh let us know alan what is the deal so well we, we spoke um briefly on our most recent episode about um mike's big change which has been in the pipeline for a while and we've been teasing a little bit and mike's made a an, an acquaintance and now a friend out of a, a fellow that owns a fair sized farm which has not been used for farming for as long as i've known him which is probably the last eight years or so um and so um and the gentleman would on on this land that he's got um the problem is that he's a bit older um and feels that he hasn't got the knowledge that he needs so he's asked mike if he would come on board as the the brains, if you like, and ultimately the the, the brawn to get it going. Um, so they're yeah. going to use this land to set up a in farm for the two families to kind of see what goes from there. Really, um, the gentleman involved obviously has been quite successful in business, hence having the land to use and not being used, not having it been used in the past. Yeah. Um, and so he's kind of got this business mind of we want to try and exploit some markets that we think might work in the long term. Um, but the sort of initial goal is to get it so that they literally are as self-sufficient as you can be yeah um, living in this part of the world yeah and on a, a properly you know a, a properly big scale as well you know like when when us mere mortals talk about <laughs> self-sufficiency you know we're talking about vegetables and we're talking about preserving them and things like that and these you yeah. know mike's actually going to be looking at well the, the whole gambit, isn't he? Growing cereal crops and all yep. of these things and using farm machinery to do it. It's, it's something like 90 acres, you said, and, you know, running it. Yeah. So, so running it almost almost commercially with a commercial sort of with a commercial bent to how you would attack it. But the primary goal, the first staging point if you like that they're aiming for is just self-sufficiently for the two families which is just incredible that balance is oh i I think that that, you know what what will happen what will come of it i'm sure is that they'll they'll start growing some things and you know you'll start a bit like i've done with the cheese you take that product out there and people start going well this is amazing how do i buy it how do i get hold of it yeah and it'll be it'll be what what of those things kind of start to stick i imagine that it'll it'll go down that route and and eventually i think you know the the aim is to set up a whole kind of self-sufficient farm with a farm shop and you know, perhaps a wood, a log business or a wood business or whatever it might yeah. be that, you know, they, they see comes to work. But, you know, the, the obvious kind of roots here, at least, are I have problems with buying milk for my, my cheese. Mm-hmm. I can't find goat milk, goat milk locally. People that keep goats here tend not to sell any milk that they've got. Um, they tend to keep enough to be self-sufficient for themselves. I know people that keep goats for me. Yeah. Um, so getting hold of the actual milk is a real problem. And yet at the same time, we've got this big boom in kind of, well, people are lactose intolerant and you can have, you can drink goat's milk rather than cow's milk and that works. Um, and, and people want to buy local. So they're looking at that as potentially a route they might go down. But uh, that's kind of all very much in the future, which I think is probably why Mike is is reluctant to talk too much at this point, because I think he's, sure. he's, he's taking a big career change after Christmas and going to be going off and doing that full time. 
yeah um, which is such an amazing opportunity i mean talk about lucky you know and sort of falling in on, on his feet with that because it means that he can dedicate his working hours to making it work whereas you know obviously the situation that we're in it's kind of a hobby that we do as well as working and yes. mike's been doing that up until now and and i think you know, one of the things we spoke about when we, when we spoke on our podcast about this opportunity that he's got is that he's kind of created that opportunity by having the skills to do it. Yeah. And obviously the gentleman that's got the land has noticed that he's got the skills to do it and they've talked about it a lot. And um, He's done that by learning the skills himself as a hobby and now the opportunity's come along and he's in a position where he's able to seize it with both hands and you know, I couldn't be happier for him. Um, obviously, you know, a bit envious because it's an amazing opportunity. I think most people listening will be like, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, because he will be getting, it will be his job. He will have a salary. Um, obviously, it's a big change for his family. Yeah. Um, and, and all that because he, you know, he works in education like myself. So things like the holidays and whatever else are, are quite useful for family life, as you might imagine. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, with, with your wife, don't you know the same yeah, yeah. situation? So, um, so that kind of thing will change for him, but it's going to be what he does day to day. Yeah. And, you know, the, the fact that he's getting a salary for it really is just the, the cherry on the cake, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. we're doing that already, aren't we? And not getting paid yeah. for it. And, and, yeah. and yeah. you know, if I was given the opportunity to just do, well, it's what I'm trying to do myself is, is move yeah. to a position where I can do this kind of thing full time. So yeah. it's just incredible. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. I'm so happy for him. And yeah. for my listeners, just to, to say, you know, this this slight conversation that I'm having about this topic with Alan here, it doesn't do justice and doesn't scratch the surface of the the full conversation that you guys had on your podcast. So I do urge you yeah. all to go and even if you're not regular listeners to Alan's show, go and check out their last episode, yeah. which was titled Assless Chaps, I believe. <laughs> it and, was uh, indeed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, go and listen to uh, that episode because um, yeah, yeah. when I listen to it, I've never, ever, ever, felt so happy for yeah. another person i don't think it was yeah. just incredible i'm just uh, obviously a little bit jealous but yeah most mostly just really really happy for mike to uh, yeah and, and, you know, he's, he's worked really hard to get to where he's gotten to with it and you know it's been it's been about having knowing the right people at the right time and having the right conversations him having the right skills to do it yeah it's just all kind of the stars have aligned for him and you know, part of me, obviously, you know, we've been working together for 11 years or so. So I'll be you know, missing one of my best mates. So he's going to be going off from work and, and working somewhere else. I'm going to miss him in that regard. But what a great thing for him to be going off to do. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, couldn't be happy for him in that regard. And, and and almost certainly I'll be up there. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's not far. It's not far from when I work from where no I work. Doubt. I could go on my way home. It's, it's a bit, bit longer that route, but I can go that way. And it's quite likely that I'll be finding myself up there from time to time. No doubt, um, and I'm I'm sure you know far be it from me. I I'm not uh, I I'm, I don't live in your geographic world, if you like. Mm, but yep. you know, it, it 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 wouldn't surprise me if your allotment moved up there. Does that sound like something that might happen it, one day? It's it's possible. I mean, I I think probably because of where the allotment is, and I I tend to play the long game, as you know. So I'm I'm yeah. looking at you know when I retire. I'd like to still have the allotment and I know there's a waiting list for 180 allotments of, of, of another 60 allotment that want a plot. Yeah. Um, and so realistically, if I give my allotment up, I'm not going to get it back again in any, any kind of a hurry. Sure. Um, so I probably would keep it on just for the, if I'm ever not working scenario, but yeah. it's very likely that I will end up doing some projects up there at some point. Yeah, um, for sure. Just on the weekend. Cause it'll be fun. Um, yeah. and might need a hand or who knows what happens long-term. Yeah. Um, he's very much talking in terms of trying to get more people on board that he knows have got skills yeah. down the line, but that's, 
at least 18 months away. And that's fine for me because at the moment I'm not in a position where I could sensibly move anyway, although my wife would tell me that I've got to regardless, I think probably <laughs> if he offered me an opportunity. Because <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. you know, and that, that's sort of, it's, it's too good an opportunity for Mike for him to have turned it down. Yeah, of course. You know, and people like, listening to this will understand that. Yeah, like like most overnight successes, you know, after yeah. thirty or forty years of hard work, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're you're an overnight success. You yes, break exactly, and, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, and that that's kind of how it feels a little bit. He's got his recording contract or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. that kind of thing. It's, it does feel a little bit like that, but he's got you know an opportunity to do some really really cool stuff, and the gentleman's involved is is kind of on. They're going to try and get it set up, but the, the long-term aim, I think, is to run it as self-sufficiently and, and as sustainably as they can. Yeah. Um, obviously, there will be some heavy heavy machinery involved, so you know, there's some maybe some discussions and compromises to be made there, perhaps, um, because the, the the scale they're talking. I mean, their their polytunnel would would, if you took the house out of the equation, would cover my entire plot. Yeah. It's that big, you know, and and literally high enough that you could drive a small tractor in there if you wanted and that, to. And that's just the first of three. That's the isn't first it? of three. Yeah, and and so. And I'm saying to him, you know, he's going, oh, I'm going to run it myself. I'm a bit like, <laughs> you're going to need some help before very long at all, because that is an yeah, enormous yeah, yeah. piece of space to be trying to grow. And if that's just one part of it, yeah. and you've got animals, and you're talking about doing timber and, 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 and it's like, it's amazing, exciting opportunity. It's a lot of work as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And those of us that do it know how much work that is. The machinery will make it easier, but it's still a lot of work. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I no doubt he'll be reaching out to you for some advice at various points. And I know he'll be reaching out to me for advice at certain points, but awesome. um, hmm, very yeah. exciting. So the, the plan for us with our podcast going forward is that obviously we've, we've talked about it being urban homestead in UK uh, an urban homestead in small scale. Mike lives in the countryside, but it's very much small scale homesteading. Um, obviously we can't claim that anymore. <laughs> you know? No. Um, so we're going to have to, there's going to necessitate a change in the podcast, but also a change in, in the name most probably going forward. Um, so we're not selling ourselves something that we're not. Um, yes. So we're going to be thinking about that a little bit over the next month or so and coming out with something new in the new year. But what it will mean is that going forward, we can, you know, the, the whole scale of kind of self-sufficiency, we've got it covered from my small scale at home uh, and what most people would be able to do right up to, you know, running a self-sufficient farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's quite exciting from that point of view. Yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the lessons that Mike learns along the way and, and you know, no doubt the, the failures, but also the successes um, should be really good. So we're, we're kind of excited about that and trying to keep it all going. Yeah, mm. for sure. For sure. Well, mm. uh, I will be eagerly following the, the progress and uh yeah like i said you know i'm just really happy for him really happy for him and yeah. i just i can't i can't wait i mean I'm, I'm hoping that at some point in the next couple of years i'll uh get a chance to come up and have a visit and see what he's got going on i'm sure that won't be a problem I, obviously he's he's i know you've asked him to come and talk on on your podcast at some point i know that he's keen to get something started first yeah 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 uh, and we'd like to invite you back to come and join us on ours at some point to come and talk about it as well because i think there's there's lots to explore there with him about how it's working and what he's doing and, and how you set it up from scratch. Yeah. Which I know that he's spent a lot of time researching and thinking and drawing up plans and planning again and, you know, scrapping those plans and starting over and whatever else yeah. to try and get it so that he knows what he's planning to do when he starts in January. Um, because as you know, when, when you did it three years ago, you move in and you've got a list as long as your arm of things that need to be done now. Yes. And you can't possibly do them all. So you've then got to consider how am I going to prioritize and, and what, what is actually the most important of these 10 most important things. 
Yeah. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see how that falls out as well and, and the sort of decisions that he makes in that regard. Yeah, for sure. That's quite a complicated Great. problem. Complicated, but exciting. Mm. Oh, and, yes, and absolutely. Fun. You know, yeah. these, are the, these yeah. are the problems that we all hope to have, aren't they? <laughs> I was going to say, I wouldn't be complaining if I had that. <laughs> 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 it might, it might no. be a bit much taking on with a full-time job, but he hasn't got to worry about that. So it's all Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. That is absolutely mm. great. Right, mm. Al, I've, uh, I've kept you for long enough this morning, I think. I'll let you get on with the rest Marvelous. of your day. Uh, yep. But uh, before you go... Do you want to? I'm, there might be one listener that doesn't know where you are. Do you want to? <laughs> I think there might know? be a few, but yeah. Um, so we are Urban Homestead in UK podcast, uh, which you can find on all your normal outlets. It's myself and Mike just chatting about, much as Carl and I have done today, chatting about the things we've been up to um, and sort of talking about the homesteading, things that we've been doing and things that people that are listening could be doing that you might not have considered. So that's very much what we do. All your usual outlets. We've got a, a Facebook page, Urban Homestead in UK podcast Facebook group on there as well. So come and find us on there. Uh, and if you haven't given us a listen, please do get back and have a listen to our episode. I think it's 29 assless chaps, as you say, um, and find out why it's called that, but also find out about what Mike's up to. Yeah. Fantastic. Cheers, Al. Really appreciate right. your time, mate. And no uh, always a pleasure to talk. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Nice to speak to you. This episode of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face-to-face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.